This is a HeadGum Podcast. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irvin Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I don't know the truth. I don't know the way. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to say. Yeah, but that's alright. Yeah, that's okay. I don't know anything. Hello and welcome to Factually. I'm Adam Conover. Thank you for joining me once again as I talk to an amazing expert about all the amazing stuff they know that I don't know and that you probably don't know. We together are going to try to pry all that delicious knowledge meat out of their skulls and cram it into our own. That's what we're doing on this show. But first, I want to thank everyone who makes this show possible by supporting our Patreon. If you want to join them, head to patreon.com slash Adam Conover, where you can get uh, bonus podcast episodes, stand-up that I don't post anywhere else, and you can join our live book club where we read a recent nonfiction book together and discuss it. It's an awesome community. You can join us at patreon.com slash Adam Conover. But hey, the podcast itself is still free. You don't got to subscribe at all to listen to this episode, so let's talk about what we are talking about on the show today. Today, we're talking about shit. You know, poop, caca, fecal matter. See, when we're pondering the great accomplishments of humankind, we don't usually think about poop. And yet, poop is the stuff that comes out of all of our butts. Your butt, my butt, and a great chain of butts stretching back hundreds of thousands of years. It's one of the most basic parts of humanity. In many ways, we are nothing but machines that turn food into poop. But this very basic part of ourselves is something that we prefer to basically never think about. Like we literally pipe clean water into all of our houses and we use that clean water not for drinking, not for showering, but just for moving our poop out of our houses as quickly as possible. Just we want to be able to drop that deuce, hit that flush and have it be gone in an instant. But the problem is that desire to not think about poop, to eliminate it from human life is impossible. Because poop is a part of who we are in more ways than one, or more ways than two. Does that joke even make sense? Do you get that? Uh, Whatever. We'll move on. You simply cannot manage lots of people living together without managing their poo. And so, the history of urbanization, and hence civilization, required humans to master shit, or at least master its management. 
The earliest sewage system, essentially septic pits, appears in one of the earliest cities, Babylon, around 4000 BCE. Then, some geniuses in Mohenjo-daro in modern-day Pakistan realized you could connect latrines directly into a sewage system. The Romans ended up monumentalizing this concept and called it, this is true, the Cloaca Maxima, which features a series of 11-foot-high stone vaults. It's literally a cathedral to crap. Our ancestors had to build enormous works of engineering just to manage our shit, because shit matters. Waste management is a huge factor in the modern era's increase in life expectancy. Before we were able to get rid of our shit effectively, a lot of people died of cholera and other diseases. And more recently, we're even beginning to learn about ways that shit can be useful to us. Wastewater epidemiology, for instance, is a recent and growing field that has been used during the pandemic to get a sense of where outbreaks are happening without needing to rely on individual test results. Now, that's just one example of the way that our waste can be used to make our lives better. But there are a lot more. And to discuss them on the show today, we have the perfect guest. Lena Zeldovich is an incredibly smart science journalist, and she's the author of the new book, The Other Dark Matter, the science and business of turning waste into wealth and health. Please welcome Lena Zeldovich. Lena, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for inviting me. Great to be so here. So you have a new book out that is all about shit. Uh, let's just get it out of the way and let's just say that it's about shit. Is that okay or is that derogatory for me to put it that way? No, it's completely okay. I think shit is an <laughs> awesome substance and that's exactly what I'm going to talk about today. You think it's an awesome substance. I love it. So th this is th this is right up my alley. Please tell me, why is it an awesome substance and why did you write this book? How did you come to write it? Sure. Why is it an awesome substance? Because it is such an incredibly versatile resource and fully renewable, by the way, because there's seven people on this planet and we all produce it pretty regularly. Well, most of us anyway. Um, why is it so versatile? Because you can do almost anything with it, as we're going to talk later in this conversation. For starters, it's an incredible fertilizer. It's best fertilizer out there. It can also mm. be converted into a form of crude oil, so all kinds of energy that can be extracted from it, and even medicine. Mm. Seven billion people shitting all the time. But he, here's the thing. I... I know that like, for instance, you know, manure, animal manure is used in compost. I have that sense. Right. Yes. And I've always wondered, wait, wait, hold on a second. Could the, could my shit be used as compost and, or, you know, as fertilizer? Um, and I'm like, but, but I don't know anyone who uses it for that purpose. Maybe there's some reason that human shit can't be used that way. It, it, can it really? And is it just that we happen not to do it most of the time? Not only it can be used that way, but it should be used that way. It is actually better than cow manure or chicken poop or any other manure. And here is why. Of all the animals out there on Earth, humans are the ones with the most diverse diets. What we produce and put out is actually full of all kinds of nutrients that, mm. let's say, a cow wouldn't have. And that is why it actually makes best fertilizer. Why we don't use it that way? Well... There are certain reasons to it, and I think we're going to get into them a little later. But generally, yeah. it's the culture. Our culture does not consider it a valuable resource and, um, you know, a, a proper way of fertilizing crops. Many societies before us were, had a completely opposing view of their waste. They didn't consider it waste. They considered it fertilizer, and they used oh, it. Really? We're just kind of rediscovering their wisdom now. 
Yeah, I mean, our relationship, at least here in the U.S. where I am now, with poop is like, get it away from me as fast as possible. Like I, like I poop in a little white bowl that I keep very clean, and then I push the button, and it makes a big noise, and whoosh, it goes far away, and it's and it leaves my house almost immediately, and is like taken away in pipes. You know, it's like this is this shit is radioactive. It's shameful. It's harmful. Get it, get it out. Right. Um, and that's that's how I've grown up. That's how what I've always been surrounded by. Is that part of what's going on? And is that a way of thinking about shit that we should try to change? That's how we think about shit for the most part. And yes, this is what we should change. Um, it's sort of we inherited this view. Of, well, I can say that we developed this view in the 19th and 20th century because science mm. was discovering how much how many how many different types of pathogens can be in that little pile of poo that humans produce mm. i should mention it's not there immediately but left outside in its own devices it will immediately become um very tasty dinner to all kinds of you know pathogens larvae uh, mm. um flies all kinds of stuff so of course it's going to become you know radioactive of course it's going to become extremely yeah. pathogenic of course it's going to become really dangerous but we're not talking about leaving it out there to its own devices. We're talking about processing it in a different way, way rather yeah. than annihilating, putting it to good use. Well, and I'm also thinking about how you said the 19th century, and this was a time when people started really congregating in cities, like, you know, especially if you think about the image of 19th century London, you know, there's there's just shit everywhere. There's like horse shit, people shit, dog shit, and people get sick as a result, like, because they don't have adequate uh, sewage systems, and so there's just sort of shit in people's water, and they're getting, like, this is like the source of, like, cholera and stuff like that, right? Yes. Those, those sorts of diseases. So so it makes sense that then people would say, okay, there's lots of people dying. We got to figure out a way to get the shit far, far away because when it sits around, it's very bad for us. But that's a technological solution that maybe is uh, a little bit less nurturing than what we could do with it, I suppose. Yeah, no, you're completely right. And I really like how you picked up on the fact that it really became a problem when people started aggregating in cities because for as long as mm. we were nomadic, we could just take a, a dump wherever and just walk away from our shit and it never bothered <laughs> us. And it was, if right. you think about it, quite liberating. And then people started settling down. Oh, the freedom down. of... Exactly. When, when you go camping and you're like, you know what? Let me pee in the woods. Exactly. Let me poop in the woods, but <laughs> but be good about it and bury it or whatever you do. You know, you, you have good camping uh, hygiene, as I hope you all do. But it is it is very liberating because you're like, oh, I'm... It's just part of nature. It's not it's that big a nature. deal. All the animal shit in the woods, and I'm one of them. Yeah, absolutely. We're just you're giving it back to Mother Nature as it should be. Mm. But when people started living in cities, shit really hit the fan. That's like one of my favorite <laughs> statements because you could no longer walk away from it. I mean, if you had a little village, you could probably like wander off, you know, to the left or to the right and whatever. But yeah. yeah, imagine 19th century London. Where would you go? There were houses everywhere and piles of shit everywhere. Um, and that was a real, real problem. What's, if, what I found really interesting is it's actually our modern sewage infrastructure kind of originated in London of that time. Mm. Um, in fact, the first person who built um, a, pr a prototype of the toilet that we use today 
was an Englishman. His name was Sir John Harrington. He was Queen Elizabeth's cousin who got sent into exile from the court for whatever that some 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 poem he wrote that she didn't like. And while in that exile, <laughs> exactly, had nothing to do. So he busied with himself with building the first water closet, the first flashing toilet. Mm. Kind of primitive, but, you know, a bunch of pipes, you know, uh, a place to sit. And the queen came and visited him and she liked it. So she wanted one at her house. And then um, all the, you know, nobility of the time decided they wanted it too. Took a while to catch up. Um, there was also a British engineer. His name was Thomas Crapper. Yes, that's mm -hmm. where the name comes the from. The very famous, the very, the very famous. famous anecdote about, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Tell, tell me about him. Yeah, so he kind of got that original uh, primitive toilet into this nice flushing apparatus that we have today. Almost, not quite what we have today, but you know, close enough. It didn't stink anymore. You know, it flushed nicely. The water came in and out. And then everybody wanted it because mm -hmm. all this, you know, rich and important people could now act not as if their shit didn't stink, but as if they didn't produce it. They would disappear mm -hmm. into their water closets and come out and there was nothing left behind for their servants to take out. Wow. You know, we have arrived. Um, now, that also caused problems because all that shit had to go someplace. And where did it go? Right. Ultimately, into the river. Into this gorgeous, beautiful <laughs> river that got so polluted that it caused the great stink of London, actually, even more yeah. than once. Um, and this is basically the infrastructure we inherited. We inherited the form of dealing with our excrement is by flushing it down the toilet, down the pipe, and somewhere. And in the next hundred years, we perfected what we, what we did to it. Basically, destroy it as efficiently as possible. And just, yeah. you know, like, dump it somewhere, just like out of sight, out of mind, pretend... We don't do it. Yeah, we go to, I remember when I lived in New York, I lived in a neighborhood called Greenpoint, right by a sewage treatment plant. Yes. And they had these big digesters, these big digester eggs, and they would do tours. I never got to go on one of the tours, and I still want to. Uh, the Newton Creek Wastewater Treatment Plant. Yes. Um, they uh, That is where they process like a huge amount of poop in New York, and they digest it down. And then I don't know what happens to it. Like once it's digested, it's, I guess it's not poop anymore. It's broken down. And then it's, I guess, flushed into the ocean, question mark? Uh, no, it's actually not that no, bad at okay. all. It's actually one of the better treatment plants. And by the way, I did Oh, you know go, this one? Of course, I did go on a tour. There's a whole chapter about this plant in my book. It's, oh, it's actually mind-boggling. Mind it's actually really, really cool. Um, so no, it's not flushed anywhere. What they do with it, uh, there's so much, New York produces so much shit that there's really no way. <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, hey, they're number one, New York City, number one in shit. All right. Number one, you go see a Broadway show, you get some nice pizza, you take the best shit of your life. That's what you do when you go to New York, New York City, number one. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there's actually no good way to get rid of it. Ideally, ideally, if we weren't so big, we actually could convert that digested product, new product that comes out of the digesters that you mentioned. It's basically essentially compost. It's composted poo. It's just about mm. soil. So if there was a farm nearby, it could go straight on that farm, be mixed with the regular soil. 
and we could、mm. grow food with it. It's just too much. So you have to truck、ah. it out, God knows where. And like, I do, you don't have enough farms to absorb all this. So they always kind、yeah. of struggle with it. For now, a lot of it is landfill, they told me, which means it just goes and joins other garbage in a landfill where it just sort of、wow. covers it. It's still better than dumping it in the ocean. It still becomes kind of soil as everything else decomposes there. But there, there could be better ways. It just, you know, it takes infrastructure planning, a lot of organizing. Wow. I had no idea that it actually ended up in a landfill.、Um, but yeah, that would be a really hard. Thing to figure out, like, okay, even if you had the good shit that you could distribute and use as compost, like, how would you get it? There's farms upstate and whatnot, but there's not enough for like eight million people, each of them taking hopefully a shit a day, which would be healthy. You know, probably some of them wait a week or so that, and have because they've got problems, but they should go talk to their doctor about that.、Uh, so, well, well so how did you end up writing about this? That is a great question and kind of an interesting. So, I had a very unconventional upbringing.、Um, I grew up in Russia in my grandfather's farm. And my grandfather,、mm. who had two degrees, one in agriculture and one in engineering,、uh, fertilized our farm with the contents of our septic tank that we. Produced. They、mm. did it regularly once a year. There were a couple of very valid reasons why he did so.、Uh, generally, the more self sufficient you were in the former Soviet Union, the better it was because you never knew what the government would do in general or to you specifically. My family was、mm. Jewish. The more self reliant we could be, the better it was.、Um, he had this little plot of land that he、uh, got from um, 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 a Plain factory where he worked, and he turned it into a farm.、Um, and so he, the way he did it was he he would open the septic tank once, about once a year, like usually in the fall when everything was sort of quieting down for winter, nothing would grow, meaning nothing could really get contaminated, like no produce. And then he would distribute it somewhere on the farm, underneath the trees, and into his compost pits. He had about three of them, and they were rotating.、So、he would Dump a bunch of sewage into one and close it for like two years and use others. And when he would open it again, two years down the road, there was no sewage left, nothing. It was just like rich black dirt and a lot of earthworms. Wow.、Um, chewing wow. through it. And it, that, that dirt was gold. It was soft and fluffy like powdered sugar. And plants loved it and they grew so well with it. Wow, that's a beautiful image because I'm imagining as you're telling me this, this guy shoveling human sewage, right? Probably very stinky.、Mm-hmm. Maybe we would think of that as being very vile, radioactive stuff. And then, but when he opens it two years later, I can picture, oh, that really good soil. Like the kind of,、yeah. like sometimes you see soil that's so good that you're like, ooh, I, it's, it's making me a little bit hungry almost because there's, you can tell、exactly. it's so nutritious.、Exactly. And that's what I'm picturing.、Exactly. And that transformation of something that we think of as being very disgusting to something that we think of as being very nutritious that's going to start the cycle of nutrition again. Yes.、Uh, that's, that's a very beautiful image. Yes. Is, it, is, that, is that really what he would do? And then he would spread it out on his farm and, yeah. Yeah. and grow、yeah. food for you with it. What was interesting is, yeah, it was stinky, but it never really. 
bothered us so much. You know, sometimes coming home from school, I could tell that that's what grandpa was doing because you could smell like a mile away, if not more. It was just kind of like, you know, permeating through the air. But you would get used to it so quickly because it was a normal smell. You know, it was the part of life. And when you open the pit, oh, God, that smell was incredible. It smelled of nature, of spring spring and the promise of the next harvest. It was just so good. Like, I... I wanted to dig my hands into it and smell it. Wow. And you never felt like, hey, I'm eating my own shit. No, no, I never felt that way. In fact, what he used to say was you have to feed the earth the way you feed people. And so to Mm. me, it was such a beautiful concept. It was that cycle of nature that now we all talk about circular agriculture, circular economy. That's what it was. And it continued, you know, I don't even remember how many years he owned that farm, but 30 at least, maybe more. And it just kept going. It never grew barren because we fed the earth with our own metabolic product. How did he learn to do this? Was this a thing other people were doing or was he sort of a weird guy with some old books who like, I've learned how to turn my shit into gold? I think there was a certain truth to that. I never... I don't know where he learned this because it never occurred for me to ask him, but I knew that other people mm. didn't necessarily do it. I think he was, uh, you know, to, to an extent an outlier. I think some people did do it and others didn't. He definitely had his own special methods when it came to agriculture. I wonder yeah. now, you know, yes, years later, I wonder if he learned it, you know, from um, this, if this idea sort of came from the East, from China and Japan, because there um, farmers have been doing it for generation and generation, really? you know, going back, yeah, you know, 100 years. Is it is this sort of reuse of, of human feces, like still, is this practiced regularly elsewhere around the world? Um, I don't really think, so I haven't really found a lot when I was researching the book. Mm. I didn't find a lot of it. Um, I think in some places it might, but I don't think it's really like a widespread you know, practice. I think people tend to rely on you know, animal manure more than anything. And also on birds droppings, they are also quite, you know, make good fertilizer. Yeah. I, I don't know why it's not... Um, it, it, it's not done in other places of the world. I think, again, part of it is that we are so convinced that this just such an, it's an epitome of waste. It's like you said, it's radioactive. Yeah. But, but it seems very unusual, even just under capitalism, to waste something that could be a valuable resource. You know, like if you take anything and, you know, throw it in the recycling bin or whatever, someone is going to find some reuse for it, right? Might not be a great use, but there's, you know, the, the market as it is tends to, you know, figure out how to reuse something, right? How like, okay, I can buy this real cheap and I can extract the precious metals from it or whatever, uh, that kind of thing. And so it seems very odd that, you know, you'd have, say, a wastewater treatment plant like the one we were talking about, generating huge amounts of this stuff that could be useful, but not actually making use of it, like anywhere around the world. I mean, is it that 
there's so much animal manure that there's no need for uh, human manure in in no. farming and in, in for fertilizer. No, not at all. It's actually a lot more complex. Um, a new tangle, much more complex new dilemma. So for starters, most people don't want anything to do with shit. Theirs or anybody else's. You just pull the flush, yeah. right? We're con- we're conditioned. The um, the medicine of the 20th century, you know, told us to stay away from it as far as possible. Um, the other thing that happened in the early 20th century is that people basically learned to make fertilizer from the thin air, that nitrogen that all plants mm. need to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, the two German engineers um, developed, you know, the specific process called Haber-Bosch process that is extremely polluting takes insane amount of fossil fuels, spits out those really bad gases that uh, contribute to um, acid rains, like really, really bad industrial process. But it makes nitrogen, and it makes as much nitrogen as you want. And nitrogen doesn't stink like shit does. It packages very <laughs> neatly into bags, and it doesn't leak. Yeah. You know, yeah. not, not, nothing bad go, happens to it and root, and you can just ship it anywhere you want and put it into the soil. And the plants will love it. They will take it up and grow. They're just not going to grow as nutritious because just nitrogen or, you know, just phosphorus, it's another fertilizer, it doesn't produce um, fruit and vegetables as tasty as normal soil, well-balanced soil that has all kinds mm-hmm. of other things in it, but it's easy. Yeah. So we, so the problem is that we have a very sort of high-tech shortcut to get pure nitrogen, pure fertilizer yep. that we we manufacture at great expense when we are literally shitting something better out of our backsides. But the problem with what's coming out of us is that it's stinky. We have a cultural aversion to using it. And there's a distribution problem, like you said earlier, that we, you know, you've got the wastewater treatment plant. They've got this stuff sitting around in barrels or however they have it in pipes. And well, how are they going to get it to Bakersfield, California, where there's a whole lot of farming going on? Or how are they going to get it to uh, Mexico, where there's a lot of farming going on? Like, are you going to truck shit across the world? You're going to build the shit pipeline. What are you going to do? So there, so as a result, we end up just using the shortcut, which is more harmful. Exactly. And we mm. over fertilizing the ocean with not without sewage per se, but with the sewage effluent because the water still has to go somewhere, right? We clean the yeah. water at the wastewater treatment plant and then out it flows. We clean it from pathogens. We don't clean it from nitrogen. We don't clean it from phosphorus. So all this stuff flows into our waterways and ultimately into the ocean where it fertilizes all the wrong things like algae. Like that yeah. algae that grows that we don't want to grow, but we keep fertilizing it. Yeah. Algal blooms are a huge problem in the ocean where totally. there's like there's like a source of fertilizer and then you get this huge bloom of algae that grows up and then that like chokes out sunlight and then mm-hmm. you've got invasive species come well not invasive species but you have certain opportunistic species eating all the algae and choking out other species it's like a big problem in ecosystems algal blooms so we are literally instead of using making use of all this fertilizer that we are naturally producing out of our own butts we are just fertilizing the ocean instead and causing problems rather than fertilizing our own farms yeah you got it you got it and i really like how you say wow. fertilizers out of our own butts because the Japanese <laughs> farmers about 200 years ago 
said exactly that. They had a special term、mm. for their poop. It they call it shimagoya, which meant fertilizer from the bottom of a person, and they collected it <laughs> meticulously from their cities in by way of buckets and carried their buckets to their little boats and then sailed these boats to the countryside where farmers bought it. Farmers bought shit. Okay, you see the difference? Wow! Here、yeah. we paid to take it away. There they paid to buy it. Yeah, I mean, if look, if you were hard up for money, it would be really great to be able to sell your shit. <laughs> I think, like, you could sell your blood, right? Why not、But、sell no your shit? Shit, shit I, exactly. At the very least, you know, I, I, I hate. See, this is this is what this is triggering for me because I hate throwing anything away. You know, I at the very least. If I find something in my house, I'm like, I want to put it on eBay and at least get a couple bucks. But more importantly, I want to know that someone else is going to make use of it. I don't want to go to a landfill. I, I ideally want to help someone else reuse it. And now I feel that way about my own shit. That I'm like, I'm wasting something that is that is perhaps valuable.、Um, so let me ask this: I, I you know, I, I grew up in a gardening household. My parents gardened. They still do. I live in a city townhome. I don't have a garden myself. I have a couple boxes on my roof that I've been thinking about putting some like peppers and stuff in.、Um, you know, maybe maybe next year I'll start my urban gardening adventure. Is this something that's possible for me to do? Is there a way for the folks listening at home to take their own shit and turn it into fertilizer, or is that not something you suggest that amateurs try to try to do in a city well, where maybe your neighbors can smell you? Well, that well, that that's the great question. Yes, if you have four acres of land, you can you know designate a compost pile where you、yeah. can probably dump that as long、we、as had, it doesn't put you at odds with、yeah. whatever municipal rules there are. We had a compost、um, pile when in my house growing up. We did not put our own shit in it, but we put all of our vegetable leavings and like leaves and stuff like that.、Same. Just a big pile in the back, and it was so cool. It gets all hot from yes, the from the. The reactions of the pathogen or the bacteria, like chewing、yeah. up the food, and then it, like, yeah, it was just a very cool thing to see as a kid.、Um, but if if you just put human shit in that kind of compost pile, would it work or no? It would. You'd have to mix it really well.、Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and cover with something. I mean, like hay or you know, whatever, because it will stink. Yeah.、Um, I would not recommend it in any city. I live in New York City. I have like a regular compost pile in my backyard where all the leaves go. But no, I'm not going to mess with anything else because it will cause a problem. However, <laughs> might if, might come up at the neighborhood board yeah, meeting or whatever. Yeah, board meeting exactly. Lena's Lena's Lena is <laughs> composting shit. Everyone. Okay, I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's completely fine. However, there is a way for gardeners like you to use. Other people's composted shit to grow、mm. your peppers because、mm. some、um, wastewater treatment plants actually managed to make it work. In particular, the one in DC、um, mm. converts the metabolic output of about two point two million people into a fertilizer. Grade A meaning completely safe fertilizer called Bloom. It comes、wow. in this neat.、Um, A squared back with,、uh, you know, big letters bloom, and it is the same, you know, composted,、um, you know, sewage that is then squeezed to get all the water out and dried. And basically, when you open that back and you smell it, it's your classic garden dirt. Wow! And that is made of 
the poop of people who live in D.C. Our politicians, our elected officials, their staff members, they're all pooping and you can buy their poop and fertilize your your garden with it. Yes, you got it. You got it. Can that's, you imagine that? I mean, that's very beautiful because so much shit comes out of D.C. So yeah, uh, I finally made my way to the joke. <laughs> um, that is so cool. Though. Yeah, I'm looking at the website and you can you can just order it. Um, yeah. Is there is there a reason I there's and there's nothing stopping me from doing that, from just purchasing. Yeah, I'm just purchasing. Yeah, their, yeah wow. completely, completely. Incredible. Well, look, I want to ask you more about our own relationship with shit and, and how we got here. Uh, I have some very specific questions for you, but, but we got to take a really quick break. We'll be right back with more Lena Zeldovich. As a Factually listener, you're probably aware of my unwavering commitment to online privacy. Well, Delete Me has been an indispensable tool for me for many years, long before they even started advertising on this show. I've been using their wonderful service. In today's digital landscape, you know, it's alarmingly easy for data brokers to traffic your personal information online. In fact, I would almost guarantee that your personal information is on multiple data broker sites on the internet right now. It's not even the dark web, it's the regular web. These data brokers may be peddling and exchanging your name, phone number, and home address all without your knowledge. And trying to locate and remove all this data yourself can feel like an impossible task because there can be dozens of these sites. But that is what Delete Me does for you. Delete Me's team of experts scours the depths and the breadth of the internet to locate and remove your personal data. Within just seven days, you'll receive a comprehensive report detailing their findings and what they have removed. It can be hard to believe, but approximately 41% of Americans find themselves vulnerable to various forms of online harassment, and this means doxing, scams, and even identity theft, all of which pose significant threats to your financial security and could potentially derail career opportunities. I mean, I used to get weird people calling my cell phone all hours of the day or night until I signed up for Delete Me and it cut it right out. So if you want to safeguard yourself like that and live with the peace of mind that experts are hunting down and removing your personal information every three months, then check out Delete Me. Go to joindeleteme.com Adam and get 20% off for all consumer plans with the code Adam. That's joindeleteme.com Adam. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. So uh, we're back with Lena Zeldovich. You know, something that always stuck with me was in our very first year in our writer's room in Adam Ruins Everything. We talked about, um, you know, we did an episode that was about the sewer system of London and its creation and what a great public health, uh, you know, uh, achievement that was. But one thing, one of our writers, Melinda Taub, wonderful writer, she said in, in our writer's room, this didn't make it into the episode, but she was like, 
isn't it weird that we transport shit from place to place using clean water? Isn't that strange? Like literally clean water, very precious resource. Um, here in Los Angeles, we, we are constantly having a drought, right? And yet I am literally taking clean drinkable water and dropping my, not only am I wasting my poop, right? And sending it far away rather than, you know, having it uh, be used for fertilizer. I'm also transporting it using a precious clean substance. Like that's just think about it that way. Like we could have gray water systems, right? Things like that, that, that flush it using other forms of water, but just that weird discontinuity makes me think, okay, our relationship, our psychic relationship with this substance is really weird and, and really messed up and is clearly stopping us from, from building something better. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. And it's another kind of historic, historically very complicated tangle mm. of how we got there. Yeah. How so? Well, um, water is perhaps the only media that is so convenient it exists in abundance right it mm -hmm. rains you get water you can store it you can direct it down through any type of pipes and it will you know wash away and carry through whatever is in those pipes so um even ancient societies you know, build sort of you know more primitive set of pipes and toilets and sewage systems that operated on water because it was just so convenient. In some places, people build toilets over water. So mm. that they kind of like, you know, imagine an outhouse that yeah. doesn't have a pit, but instead it all falls into the water and floats away. Yeah. Like, oh, like literally an outhouse, like over a river or exactly, something like that. Exactly. Yeah. You can actually Google and find some hilarious you know, pictures of, of <laughs> toilets like that. It's, 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 it's pretty wild. Yeah. And so this is what we stuck with. And then the Romans perfected it with their clock. They build this huge sewers. You know, you could go, you know, a horse-drawn carriage could go through them. Today, I think a car can drive through some of them. Yeah. But, you know, that's what the Romans did. And that's basically how we started to look at, you know, at, at our shit. Just, like, get rid of it. Like, who wants it? But the mixture of it with the clean water system, right, also led to, like, if you're using water to transport your shit and you are using, you know, pre-modern sewage systems, pre-modern mm -hmm. infrastructure, you're going to end up in situations where people are going to end up drinking like, you know, contaminated water because you have now in so doing, if you put your outhouse over your river yeah. and someone downstream, downstream is drinking from the same river, they're going to get sick. Um, and so, so you are turning something clean that you need into something like kind of polluted. And you are also, as you say, polluting the eco ecosystem and things like that. It just seems like a very strange mixture, you know? Yeah, in a lot of ways, that's, like I said, that's what we kind of inherited and in a lot of ways from Victorian uh, London, um, when, you know, when they had this, you know, the great stink of London, which happened more than once, there were mm -hmm. a lot of conversations about how to do this better. For example, you know, I call them sewage separatists. Um, there was a group <laughs> of people that suggested that there should be two separate system systems: one for stormwater, 
basically clean water that would flow into the river and people could you know draw from that water mm-hmm. you know to, to cook food and whatnot and a separate uh, system specifically for sewage and that would be pumped out of the city and onto the farms that at the time weren't as far as they're now here in New York or in London so maybe this was would be doable the questions that they couldn't solve were cost two systems instead of one Mm-hmm. Two, how would shit move down through the pipes? Mm. You needed, uh, at, at the time, all they had was steam. So you had to use water anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and that system could also clog. So you needed more water. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't, they couldn't get out of that water equation. Yeah. So, so we still have that water. There are better technologies these days that manage to sort of, you know, squeeze the water out of the sewage that comes out of a building, that gray water, it can be reused again, not for drinking, but for uh, you know, watering gardens, washing clothes, I am told, um, mm-hmm. and, other, and other means. And they could recover, there's a certain system that could recover up to 98% of that water, mm. from what I read. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are, I looked into it once there's gray, you could, if you want to replumb your house, you could get a gray water system installed in your house where it takes some of the excess water from maybe your laundry or something like that, your dishwasher, whatever, and then uses that to flush your toilet or to water your plants. Um, there's also, you could also get rainwater capture and things like that. Um, but it's like expensive and a lot of plumbers don't like it cause it like violates the rule that like water comes in one way and goes out the other way and you shouldn't mix the two because they're worried about you getting shit in your drinking water. Um, but it's like just, it's just sort of astonishingly rare. And, and so it just makes me think again, what you're describing here is like a fundamental inefficiency in the way that we have plumbed our entire civilization that, that, you know, we talk about our civilization as being very efficient. Capitalism is being very efficient. But here is something where we are wasting a valuable resource. And we are u- and, and we're not only wasting a valuable resource, we're using a precious resource, water, to waste the valuable resource. It's like you got very it. strange. Yeah, no, you got <laughs> it. You got it. I think in the past, you know, maybe 10 years or so, I've started noticing a change in that. Mm. Um, it began around the time in, in 2011 when the Gates Foundation issued this you know, reinvent the toilet challenge. Mm. It was originally issued to create, uh, my understanding is it was issued to create better sanitation solutions in the developing world where mm, yeah. it's really ugly. Um, you know, People still head out into the bush. Um, but out of that evolved different technologies that are quite applicable to our own world to stop using precious resource to you know wash down the valuable resource and uh, uh, some of them might still sort of be in the early stages but i know there is a company called epic clean tech um in, on the west coast that developed it's sort of like a plug-in i don't think it works for houses per se but it does work for buildings they basically plug in this you know cartridge for the lack of a better word into the building's sewage pipes and they stop it you know, right there. Mm. They extract the water and whatever's left of the poo eventually becomes fertilizer through their own you know, proprietary method. So That's I, cool. Yeah. I, I like to say I see the sewage tide turning. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it sounds very ominous when you put it that way. Um, but I did want to ask because you mentioned places where, you know, they don't have access to adequate sewage, to safe sewage, where, um, you know, the the human waste still gets people sick. Uh, and that's, in fact, something else we talked about in that very early episode of Adam Ruins Everything, that, um, you know, a lot of places don't have access to safe toilets and, you know, also the 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 sort of like habitual ways that excrement are dealt with there are not only inefficient, but very unsafe. Um, mm-hmm. And so I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit, like how much of the world is is affected by those issues. And if we're thinking about how to how we can redesign our sewage system so that we're not wasting this wonderful resource. Right. Mm-hmm. In in places like that, that need you know, more infrastructure. Is there a better sort of infrastructure that could be built than what we have here in, you know, Los Angeles or New York City? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so uh, the the numbers of people who still don't have, um, you know, a, a safe and working toilets kind of, you know, fluctuate depending on exactly what statistic you look at. But it's still kind of in billions. It could be like wow. 1.2 or near 2 billion, whatever, depending on exactly wow. how they count. And a lot of people still head out into the bush, which is dangerous on its own. You know, heading out into the bush in some of these places in the middle of the night to take a leak, you don't know what's going to bite you or yeah. eat you. Yeah. So um, the other issue is that in a lot of these places, our Western flushing toilets can't be built, just can't be built because the water is too unreliable. There's mm. either too little water or there's too much. When it's too mm. much, everything's going to spill. Like we have sewage spills here all the time. There it's just not going to work day one yeah. um, because some of these places flood. For you know, one place where I um, you know, went to when I was reporting on the book was Madagascar. And then in its capital, People grow rice in their front yards. It's it's rice patches because it floods all the time. Like this water wow. just standing there. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to handle that? Um, so most people just have latrines. But when it rains for five days, latrines overflow. And all this stuff just floats out into people's yards and homes. Yeah. And into their water, into their drinking water. And into their water. water. Like, yeah. Yeah. Completely. So it doesn't work. Um it needs a completely different solution. And there are startups in those parts of the world that are trying something completely different. They call it container-based sanitation. Mm. In short, what uh, what happens is, you know, they build toilets um, that are comfortable to sit on, but they're not connected to any pipes. There is like either a hygienic bucket or a biodegradable bag underneath. And once it's full, a service comes and swipes it for an empty one or a clean one. Mm. So it is basically manual waste collection, just like that manual waste collection that I described earlier in Japan. Yeah. Um, that um, output is taken then to a local you know, waste treatment plant where it's loaded up into digesters and you know out comes fertilizer and in that particular case biogas it's it's also a product of fermenting shit uh, that you can use as energy people cook with it people boil water with it um, and whatnot so this you know so it based on containers Mm -hmm. hence the container-based sanitation yeah um and it's a different way of doing it but in a lot of ways it's also more ecologically savvy it dies in wastewater and it returns poo to Mother Nature. 
the soil. Yeah, and I can imagine, I can imagine a very mature, you know, high tech version of this, right? I can imagine in LA if I had some some sort of some sort of toilet that had a container that I pooed in, right, and that that sealed up nicely, and then you know, I mean, look, I, I, I'm used to having a garbage man come take my garbage away, right? I take it out to the curb and they pick it up and they go do whatever with it. And I do, I have my yard waste that is turned into, uh, you know, mulch for the city parks department. And I've got, you know, that I put my, um, uh, you know, uh, dried leaves in whatever, you know, yard trimmings. Uh, and I've got recycling. And so like, why not have a like shit pickup, right? Um, <laughs> I, I could imagine a version of that where, oh yeah, that's very much like my normal life, not any grosser, um, but I'm not using water to move the poo around and it is being used for something more productive. And I can imagine how, yeah, in a lot of places where maybe maybe plumbing with water to move people's shit around is not the most effective for the reasons that you're saying, like that would right. be a good solution. Is that a model that you think is going to take off or is it just getting started? Um, so I think it's getting started in the uh, developing world because it's a lot easier and a lot cheaper than laying down pipes that may or may not work here in this, in, 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 in the Western world. I don't know. I could totally see it. The way I sometimes envision it is that you have this cartridge that pops underneath your toilet mm, and then there is yes. a little flushing thing say, I'm full. And then you swipe it. And yes, it goes out just with the rest of your garbage. Yeah. It could be, I mean, it's 21st century. We can make them so that they don't stink, that they, you know, flush at you, you know, it's almost yeah. full. It doesn't have to smell. It can be easy. I think all in all, it's doable. Um, the issue is, I think, you're breaking through the human aversion right. of their metabolic output and creating these new infrastructures. Right. That's money. But if you're, it costs money, but if you're doing that in a place where the infrastructure is needed anyway, there's perhaps a, a lower barrier to that. Yeah. Um, and hey, you know, in the U.S., we are getting more open-minded about our shit. I mean, bidets are now taking America by storm. And everybody thought that we would never be into bidets and that we couldn't handle it because we're too prudish. And now everyone's getting, a, you know, one of these, you know, a Toto or whatever it is installed. Toto's, it's like yeah. people's pride and joy. Uh, I want to make sure we talk about this and I actually wish we had gotten into it a little bit earlier because I'm really fascinated by it. What about the medical potential of shit? Um, this is like people are using each other's poop for therapy to cure diseases now, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I would say it's a, you know, budding therapy, but in a lot of ways it's proven, definitely. It's proven a butting therapy. Butting therapy. Exactly. <laughs> um, so um, in, I'd say in the past decade, or maybe two, um, medics fully recognize that human intestines is not just, you know, a place where your know, food sits and gets absorbed. It is actually a very thriving, rich ecosystem full of all kinds of microbes, mm. mostly good that we need, but occasionally pathogens. Mm. And so sometimes, um, you know, some particularly bad antibiotic resistant pathogens uh, manage to settle there. People tend to get them after like a surgery in the hospital. Um, mm. One of these really bad bugs is Clostridium difficile. Um, and I first wrote about it, I think like in 2013 or 2014, before I started working on the book. Um, and in, in, in that story, which then also made it into the book, 
uh, a lady in her 50s you know, got this bug and couldn't shake it off. And about 25 or 35,000 people die from it because nothing works. At least back then, nothing was working. Antibiotics of last resort weren't working. It kept coming back. And she literally had, um, she, she tried everything. Somebody in her family Googled um, and found this you know, procedure for fecal transplant that basically, yeah. yeah, basically boils down to you take the poop out of healthy individuals, mush it up and put it into an enema and give it to the person who is suffering from this bug. Yeah. And you hope it works. And lo and behold, not only it worked, but it worked completely miraculously, better than any antibiotics she took before. Within a day, like in 24 hours, she was a completely changed person. She couldn't get up and all of a sudden she had all this energy and she was walking around and even willing to drive a car. Because what happened... No, she didn't just get the poop. She got all the microbes her body didn't have after all these antibiotics. And suddenly she yeah. had them all. And they were working. And they were producing all the necessary nutrients. And she was back to normal. Uh, and so she started this foundation called Fecal Transplant Foundation to educate other people about the method. Um, and not only she did that, a year or two later, she convinced the FDA to let this method live, quote unquote. Um, the FDA was very leery of it. It didn't want doctors to do it. It was afraid you know, for people to do it. Think about it. It's completely against the logic that we were taught, right? So they were going to sort of like yeah. close it poop down. Poop comes out of your butt. It doesn't go back up your butt. It like go it can't be good butt. for you to put poop up your butt. It violates the sort of root notion we have about. And this is these are some of the deepest down prejudices and ideas that we have. We learn this stuff very early. There's a lot of like weird religion in it about like it's sinful mm-hmm. to poop. And so just this very idea of taking someone else's poop and putting it up your butt is is strikes some people as like deeply wrong in a way that maybe they can't even articulate. Diabolic. Yeah. Diabolic. Yeah. Heresy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she convinced them to let their idea live. And wow. right now we have, um, there is this, um, uh, you know, it, it's not even a startup anymore um, in, in Boston uh, called Open Biome that screens healthy donors for their poop and you know Mm. gathers that poop and stores that poop in freezers specifically for people who Mm. needed to battle that infection wait so so can i like is this one of those things where where i can send them a poop sample and they'll like keep it on file or something like that in case someone needs my poop no not quite you'd have to go there and get screened man they they take your blood samples and poop samples and all kinds of things and to make sure you you qualify to donate and what they told me is that it's easier to get into harvard and mit than pass their (laughs) test but see now i want to do it because i love i love signing up to donate body parts i'm signed up as a body donor at the at ucla if i die you know the medical students will get to dissect me um i signed up for bone marrow transplants via an organization called i think be the match where you just send them a little cheek swab and then if someone if you know it's very small chance but if some if you're a match for someone's bone marrow you might be asked to give a bone marrow transplant and so i just like I like, you know, having my body parts be useful to other people. I like being in the database. So maybe it says in Massachusetts, maybe I'll stop by and yeah. uh, take the poop test. It's sometime. near Boston. And, and, but so this is, 
my understanding is that you know we're still learning a lot about the gut the gut biome all the different microbes and what they do but there's a whole lot of you know conditions that can be caused by having the wrong kind of biome down there um like th things that are surprising that we might not even expect True. um like uh you know weight loss weight gain you, you know ibs certainly uh all, you know all kinds of different disorders and maybe the cure for some of these things is like inside of our friends and neighbors asses it could be <laughs> we just don't know yet let me tell you this nobody looked <laughs> nobody looked up close <laughs> but but this is this is like a brand new therapy and it really is bringing like a lot of a lot of comfort to people a lot of yes it's it's, it's at the moment it's only used when used when everything else fails and for mm. that specific um infection there's a lot of conversation and research on how to expand it but it's not quite there yet because just like you said, you may inherit good bacteria, also may inherit right. bad bacteria. So if the question is, are you going to live or die, then maybe you not care so much whether you might inherit some diabetes from this um, transplant diabetes, or really? not. Oh, it, yeah. it, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's all part of meta your metabolism, yeah. right? So it's a very hot area. Of research, yeah, uh, and hopefully in the next you know, decade, you know, some more facts come out, and we'll know more. Yeah. And is the this is the really interesting thing about it being such a new area because we still don't understand what so many of those microbes do, and so a lot of times I always like to caution people when we're talking about gut flora, gut biome stuff that there's a lot of products out there that'll say, oh, this nurtures good bacteria or bad bacteria, you know, like like sort of quasi pharmaceutical products, and you got to be really careful with those because the truth is that like we don't even understand enough about that yet to really be like taking supplements that are going to do X, Y, Z. Um, anyone who like makes those claims is like a little bit suspect, but yeah, if your lives have been saved through the first forms of this therapy that we have through poop, poop transplants, which by the way, is very fun to say poop transplant. I poop love it. Plant, yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Um, I mean, do you have any opinion about like probiotics, things like that? Like, are these things that, that work or are these things to be skeptical of? Uh, both. Yeah. Um, I think some of them work, and I think some of them don't work at all. Yeah. Um, and how to find out those that works? Um, that's why FDA doesn't regulate them because it has no clue how to regulate them. Um, because again, there's not enough science. Um, yet, yeah. How to? Yeah, yet exactly. I, I think a lot of these therapies work on some people and don't work on others, and a lot of uh, of it is just basically trial and error. Mm. Yeah, people do it themselves. Well, so to, wait, wait, people do it themselves. We'll just do the transplant themselves. Is that what you said? Well, in the earlier days, that's what people did because doctors wouldn't do it. Mm. So the lady that I described in my book, um, her husband was her daughter. Uh, and on the morning of the transplant, he pooped into a little device that he like, like put on top of the toilet and he took it, uh, mixed it with that enema solution, put it in the blender, pushed the button, the whole thing kind of like whipped into a you know brown milkshake. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you need a really strong stomach for all this stuff. So that's yeah. what it was. Yes, they did it completely themselves. I don't know if people still do it themselves because now you actually can do it as an experimental therapy in a doctor's office. 
I'm sure there but, are yeah. people out there who are, there's a lot of people do weird things to their bodies, and I'm sure there are people out there, and, and I wouldn't advise that people do it themselves. Yeah, but, don't do it at all. But this is how it got started, was, was through yes. this. Yeah. Um, I mean, so to bring us in for a landing here, like, we've talked about how this is, this is a part of our bodies that we often would rather not think about, you know? Yeah. Even while I am pooping, I'm usually on my phone reading Twitter. I'm not thinking about what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to be far, far away from it. I'm doing a, I'm doing a crossword puzzle. I'm doing the Wordle. Um, I'm not thinking about what's coming out of my butt. Uh, you know, I, I look back, I glance at it. I'm like, all right, good job. I hit flush and that's it, you know? But you're talking about how, hey, the way that we deal with our poop, causes environmental destruction in many ways when we, you know, it, it ends up creating algal blooms, stuff like that. And how we're wasting all this wonderful resource, um, the medical potential of it. Do you, what is, what is, after writing this book, what is your perspective holistically on what, you know, what our relationship with poop could be if we were to, you know, take all this into account and how do you suggest that folks at home, you know, Think about poop differently in their day to day lives as a result of all sure. these insights. It's like it's one of my favorite topics. So, <laughs> what I people, it must be great. You're at a dinner party and people are like, "What do you do for a living?" And you're like, "Oh well, I'm, I know a lot about shit." Let me tell you, <laughs> I advocate for poop. <laughs> I love it. I love, you advocate I, for it. Yeah, I advocate for poop. Um, so we think of it. We think about poo as waste. Well, it's not, it's not true. It's not correct. We produce an extremely valuable metabolic product that our planet needs very badly to keep mm. feeding us. Our farm fields need it very badly to bear crops. Mm. Um, and, and, and if you think about it, it's such an incredible power that you carry within. You know, think about it. it I call it people's own organic power poop <laughs> i love it we're all super poopers we yeah. just haven't been conditioned to think about it this, that, that that way but we all produce at least a pound worth a day of an incredibly versatile resource that can generate energy become fertilizer can be converted to crude oil or 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 or, or, or biogas um by using it properly uh it, you can stave off algae blooms, you can stop over fertilizing the ocean. By putting it back in the fields, you would also cut down on the, you know, on the synthetic fertilizer that is polluting and you know, contributes to acid rains and whatnot. Just think how you can fix all these problems wow. with what you flush down the toilet. You know, Be proud of that power within you yeah. and you'll never flush the same way again. You're incredible. Your body is a marvelous machine and it's turning food, not just into energy for you, but into something that is, has value that is not useless. That has, yeah. that has people's own organic power. I love that so much. Lena Zeldovich, thank you so much for coming on the show. The name of the book is. The other dark matter, the science and business of turning waste into wealth and health. And of course, you can get it at our special bookshop, factuallypod.com slash books. That's factuallypod.com slash books. Lena Zeldovich, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a delight. It's been a delight, too. I 
Well, thank you so much to Lena Zeldovich for coming on the show. I hope you loved that conversation as much as I did. If you did, please, again, consider supporting us on Patreon. Just head to patreon.com slash Adam Conover. And of course, I want to thank all of our $15 a month patrons for supporting the show. That's Adam Simon, Allison Liparato, Alan Liska, Antonio LB, Aurelio Jimenez, Charles Anderson, Chris Dale, Drill Bill M, Hillary Wolken, Kelly Casey, Mark Long, Michael Warner. Michelle Glittermom, Paul Mauk, Rachel Nieto, Robin Madison, and Spencer Campbell. I want to thank our producer, Sam Roudman, our engineer, Ryan Connor, Andrew WK for our theme song, the fine folks at Falcon Northwest for building the incredible custom gaming PC that I'm recording this very episode for you on. You can find me online at, at Adam Conover, wherever you get your social media, or at adamconover.net. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Factually. That was a HeadGum Podcast.